0: Welcome to this edition of The Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. We're gonna start a series, uh, started it this morning and continued over the next few weeks, um, just uh, about family life, really. Um, By family life I don't mean mum, dad and kids, I'm talking about our community life. And um, we're going to spend several weeks talking about the church in general, and then a couple of weeks talking about Gateway in the specifics in particular. So it's my job to talk about the church in general, and then Chris and Mike are going to take a couple of weeks and talk about Gateway in particular. So, kicking off, uh, I went to the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians, there are at least seven pictures. Paul gives us seven pictures. Or metaphors, if you like, or perhaps even realities of what God's people are like or to be compared with. And I've listed the seven. I'm not going to speak in any detail on five of them. But two of them I want to concentrate on one this week and one next week. But the seven are, first of all, we're called the church in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. The Greek word church is the word ekklesia, and it means the called out ones. It has the idea of a group of people being called out from a larger group, and that smaller group are tasked with governmental authority and responsibility. Secondly, we're called his body in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 23. We are thirdly called his workmanship in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Um, The Jerusalem Bible translates workmanship as his work of art, and the Greek word is the word poema, from which we get our English word poem. It's through this work of art, this corporate work of art, that God intends to display his manifold wisdom, his many sided wisdom, as is uh, mentioned in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 to the principalities and powers of this age. You know what, each one of us, as we come together, presents a unique refraction of God's grace and light. And together, as broken as we may feel, we make up a glorious, grace-filled kaleidoscope. So we are his work of art. Number four, we are his family. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are the family of God. Number five, we are his temple. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, Number six, we are his bride in Ephesians chapter five. It talks about the husband and wife and their union. And in chapter, in verse 25, it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And finally, we are his army. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, we're told to take up the whole armor of God. So those seven pictures are seven facets of what the people of God are called to be. And I want you to note, if you would, particularly that all of those pictures, all of those metaphors, speak to us as a corporate body, our corporiety. Not one of them speaks to our individuality. Individuals are, are taken up in that corporate expression. It's two that I want to highlight, number two and four of that list, the body this week and the family next week. So I want to talk to you about what it means for the people of God to be the body of Christ. And I'm going to do it out of Ezekiel, out of the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 37. For those of you who came to the prayer meetings leading up to the day of Pentecost, every morning we read the scripture and prayed over it, so um, we're looking at it again. Ezekiel 37, just want to read a couple of verses, verses one and two. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out uh, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley and it was full of bones." Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. Skipping over a few verses, the prophet is told to prophesy and in verse 7 he says, So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, sinews and flesh came upon them and skin covered them over. want to make a couple of rather obvious observations. Firstly, bones aren't meant to be dry. Healthy bones aren't. They are moist. Job chapter 21, verse 24, describing a healthy individual says, and the marrow of his bones is moist. When bones are dry, we're in a spot of bother. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17 verse 22 says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So these bones, uh, as many as they are, are very, very dry. They're not supposed to be dry. So we are presented with a sad picture. Secondly, obviously, again, bones aren't meant to be unattached and scattered. And it's into this place with dry bones scattered all around that God begins a work of restoration. There is a shaking and he brings bone to bone. He joins the bones together. And the individual bones forsake their life, if it can be described as life, of independence and unrelatedness, and they commit to a life of corporate life and function. So they forsake their independence and they come together. Now, right there, we hit a speed bump as far as our culture is concerned because our culture is a culture of radical, expressive individualism, of personal rights, of personal choices, and we get a bit touchy and a bit nervous when someone starts speaking about commitment and corporiety, about giving up our individuality and coming together in our corporiety. And over the next couple of weeks, I know that some of you are going to feel incredibly uncomfortable with some of the things that I say. And you say, well, how do you know that, Don? Well, because I felt incredibly uncomfortable writing them down. And as I said this morning, I even sent myself an email registering my disapproval. I sent myself an angry tweet. Actually, I'm not on social media, but if I was, I would have because it challenges our present worldview, our Western worldview. The cultural tune of expressive radical individualism has been playing in our ears full volume for decades, and I think that most of us are completely oblivious to the fact that we largely dance to its tune. We don't even think about it. We've been so marinated in and shaped by our culture that in many cases in the Western church, our value system looks more like a 21st century secularism than it does the early church. Now Romans chapter 12 verse 2, Paul spoke to the Romans and he said, "Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I think that's our problem when we come to talk about corporiety as opposed to radical individualism. We're so attuned to radical individualism that, that we, we are shaped by it. J.B. Phillips says, "Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold." I think the church has been largely squeezed into this mould. And in this short series, I'm going to suggest that some of us might need to make some significant conceptual, cultural, theological leaps in order to allow our present worldview first to be challenged, and then secondly, maybe to be changed. And it will not be easy for us to make a transition from our radical, expressive individualism into a more collective, corporate mindset which is the mindset of Scripture. You know, the reality is we treasure our so-called freedoms and the intense aversion we feel when they are challenged is a rather telling indicator, I think, of perhaps how far we've strayed from the New Testament ideal. God is doing a work and he brings these unattached individual bones and he joins them together bone to bone. And that's about interpersonal relationships. It's about community. It's about connectivity. It's about being part of something other than and larger than ourselves. An unconnected bone is a non-sekata. And as much as this might be a bit jarring and perhaps even surprising to us Westerners, it is very clear as you study the New Testament that there is no such category as an unconnected bone or an unconnected Christian, if you want to put it that way. The thought that you and I can acquire a personal relationship with God outside the body life of the church would have been an ideal or an idea that was completely inconceivable to the early Christians, and actually for Christians for most of history. And let that one register for a moment. The thought that you can have a personal relationship with God apart from the body life of a community is something inconceivable for Paul. Paul and the other writers of the New Testament saw getting saved, if you want to call it that, or becoming a Christian and becoming a member of God's community as an inseparable and simultaneous event. Without one, the other was unthinkable. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. This is the message translation. You can read it in any translation. It says basically the same thing. He says, Peterson translating, says, your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial piecemeal lives. Let me stop. We said goodbye to our radical independence. We said goodbye to the unattached bones. We said goodbye to our partial, piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. So salvation in the New Testament is actually a community-creating event. Martin Luther the great reformer understood this to be say, to be so and he said you are saved by faith alone but not to a faith that is alone and then he said something shocking for us apart from the church community salvation is impossible and we go what That that can't be right. Now, what Luther wasn't saying is that the, the church has to mediate salvation to you. You come to Christ without a mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We come to Christ and he mediates salvation to us. What Luther is saying there is all that salvation means and all that is supposed to unfold from salvation is absolutely impossible without the church. For salvation to be worked out, community is indispensable. Modern Christians, modern evangelical Christians often speak about Jesus as my personal saviour. If you have the opportunity sometimes, search your concordance and see if you can find that phrase, my personal saviour, in the Bible, and uh, you're going to come up with zero occurrences. And I suspect that that phrase, Jesus as my personal saviour, is an expression of our Western individualism imparting its own socially constructed perspective onto the reality of the biblical text. We, we, we put it on the biblical text. It's not there. We, we imagine that God's main goal in history is to get individuals saved, to get individuals um, heaven bound, if you like. It's all about what God has done for me. Now while God obviously does reach out to touch individuals, and he has done much for you and for me, that isn't the sum total of what he intends by far. Of the 23 times that the word saviour is used in the New Testament, only once does it refer to an individual. When Mary used it in Luke chapter 1 verse 47 in the great magnificat, she said, my spirit has rejoiced in God my saviour. Every other occasion, it's corporate, it's our saviour. Paul uses our Lord 53 times in the New Testament epistles. Only once does he call it my Lord in Philippians chapter three, verse eight. There is something about corporate community that is front and center in the New Testament. Theologian Stanley Gren says the biblical vision of community is the goal of history. Now, I suspect some of you are still choking over what Martin Luther said. You know, you can't be a Christian without the community of the church. And the question would naturally arise, Don, are you trying to tell me that you can't be a Christian and, uh, if, if you don't go to church? Uh, you can't be a Christian without being connected to a community. I, I suspect that's such a 21st century Western question that Paul wouldn't even conceive of asking a question like that. Martin Luther clearly thought the answer to that question was no. Church Father Cyprian of Carthage said something equally as shocking when he said, You cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. Now most of us gasp at this. Most of us gulp. As I said, you know, when 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 I when I heard when I read that, I was like, whoa. Can this be so? What these people are saying, these great church luminaries are saying, is just as we need a doctrine of justification, we need a doctrine of occasion, where we are born into family, as well as being justified before God in terms of righteousness, we are born into community, and that salvation is a community creation, it's a creating event. That was the part where I thought perhaps some of you would want to send me an email or a tweet And uh, I just thought, you know, don't bother. I've already sent it to myself. I don't need the bitterness of working through yours because I've got the bitterness of working through my own right here. And we Westerners beg to differ uh, with these ancient luminaries. We, We want to say, of course you can be a Christian without going to church. Of course you can be a believer without having to be part of a community. But I ask you, apart from the feelings of revulsion that rise up, which I'm suggesting probably come from our Western worldview, where do you find that in Scripture? See if you can find it in the Scripture. And then you think, well, you know, there's, the, well, there's got to be exceptions. Don, what about the castaway on a desert island? Are you telling me he can't be a Christian because there isn't a church to go to? Well, you know what, I suggest that we leave, God to the, we leave the castaways to, for God to work out, okay? I'm sure he's up for working out what to do with a castaway. What about the normal? What about the normal? Actually, when I was talking about castaways, it reminded me of a story once of a castaway who was stranded on a desert island, and one day a ship passed by and saw the smoke from his campfire rising and sent in a little boat, and they rescued the man. The captain, just before he took him off, was looking around the camp that this man had made and and he was proudly showing him the house that he'd built. He said, that's my house. Oh, very good, said the captain. He said, what's that building over there? That's the church that I go to. Well, what's that one over there? That's the church I used to go to. (laughs) So Western. Leave the exceptions to God. If you're a castaway, work it out. He'll work it out with you but most of us aren't castaways. We're in a place where we can be part of community, but many of us just choose not to be. We say, well, Don, I've got good reasons not to be. Have you seen the churches out there? I mean, they're not in good shape. Well, friends, I understand why people struggle with body life. Karen and I have been in church for over 50 years, and we've seen the best and the worst. And I've seen the abuse, the control, the manipulation, the small-minded pettiness, the pharisaical self-righteousness, and that's just me. And then there's you. We're in a spot of bother, folks. I know that. However, I'm sorry to inform you that apparently God doesn't have another plan. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have another alternative. One wag once quipped, the church is a bit like Noah's Ark. The stench inside would be unbearable if it wasn't for the flood outside. We don't have lots of options. And I would suggest to you that if you want to be a believer, you need to forsake your reservation, you need to forsake your excuses, and perhaps even embrace your pain and find your place in a community. Bone joined to bone. Interesting thought, and I don't know how far to push this, but after the bones come together in Ezekiel 37, God doesn't address individual bones anymore. He starts speaking to bodies, body life. That's where the voice of God can be heard with some degree of safety. And you say, Don, do you believe that God won't speak to people who are not part of the church? No, not necessarily. As I say, I don't know how far to push that. But I will tell you that God doesn't deal with the bones, in this picture at least, after the place where they're joined together. And anyone who refuses aren't addressed from that point onwards. Once the bones are joined together, then God joins them with sinews and ligaments, it says in verse eight of Ezekiel 37, and the ligaments tie the bones in place. Cognate word with ligament is legate, which means to tie up, or litigation, which means a state of being bound. And the ligaments hold the bones in place. They represent that sense that God has called us to a specific place in his community. And when we hear that call, we acknowledge it and we allow ourselves to be bound into a specific place. And we say, this is my place, this is my community, this is my whānau. And This is the place where I know and I'm known. And it's that commitment and these long-term relationships that will be the crucible of genuine spiritual formation. One thing I know, and it's this, God develops godly character In us through our committed relationships, through the relationships that we can't simply run from, our families, our marriages, our covenant community churches, those places that are not easy simply to just pack up and leave. It's in those places that we are challenged in terms of being Christ-like. You know, the tragedy of our age, though, is that there are fewer and fewer of those committed relationships from which it is not easy to run. Marriage is probably the last bastion of covenantal commitment in our culture, and frankly, that has pretty much disappeared as well. It's gone the way of most relationships in our culture, largely becoming contractual rather than covenantal. Now, I don't wanna come across unfeeling or unkind in what I'm about to say, because I know there are always extenuating circumstances. There are exceptions, there are helpless victims. Nevertheless, there are still way too many Western Christians who simply leave their covenantal commitments because, my gosh, they're hard. Well, it's just too hard. My marriage is too hard. Living in this family is too hard. Being part of this community is too hard. And so these people leave their churches and their marriages, and tragically, it seems to me, their personal saviour seems to go unquestioningly and happily with them to their next church and their next marriage. I'm sorry if I sound a bit cynical, but I am. Far too many people leave for trivial reasons. Now, as I say, I'm not naive. I know there are legitimate reasons for leaving, sometimes a marriage, sometimes a church. And if you have those kinds of reasons and have left, I'm not trying to get at you. In my pastoral capacity, actually, over a 40-year period, I've advised some people to leave their marriages. Not many, but some and I've advised some people to leave their churches, not many, but some. In my time in ministry, I've noted that most people, perhaps the greatest reason they leave church communities is because they want to escape the hard work of conflict resolution. The joints that bring the bones together have become infected and arthritic, and quite frankly, it's too hard. It's easier to leave than to resolve. But when we flee the painful but redemptive relationships that God has placed us in and bound us to, we so often experience the frun- frustration of simply reenacting the issues in our next location and in our next relationship. And so many of the wandering, wanderlust saints that I see going from church to church and group to group remind me of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 8, which says, people who won't settle down wandering hither and yon are like a restless bird flitting to and fro. They, they don't find their home. Some people are absolutely blatant in terms of the trivial reasons that they leave community. One person said they just like to change every few years because they get bored. So, so so how does that work for your marriage? You know, do you just up and leave because you're somewhat bored? Some people just say, I had, you know, in the early days of Gateway, we, we, we really struggled and there was lots of people leaving. And I had people come to me saying, well, we're leaving uh, Gateway Don. And I said, yeah, fine. Do you, mind ask, do you mind me asking, you know, if there's a particular reason? No, not really. We're leaving because people are leaving. It's like, okay, all right, can do that. Those people who are spiritual nomads priding themselves sometimes and going from group to group, fail to put down roots and seldom experience lasting fruit or growth. And what I'm doing with you now, trying to convince Western Christians that their hope for spiritual growth and healing lies in engaging with rather than running from committed community relationships sometimes seems like pushing water uphill with a rake. Just an insurmountable obstacle, to get past that radical individualism of like, don't you presume to tell me what to do? Don't you dare? This sounds like cult-like material, Don. you know, asking you to be committed to a particular place. As difficult as it is, not just for you, but for me too, we have to allow that view to be challenged by what the Bible says about the believing community. Bones are joined together bone to bone and are bound in covenantal commitments. Ligaments tie them together. After that, God adds flesh. You can read it in Ezekiel chapter 37. That's muscles. You know, in a normal body, there are something like 600 muscles in a a human body, ranging from the minute to the massive, from muscles that govern the amount of uh, light that are permitted to enter the eye to other muscles, you know, that, that, uh, that are rather large. Uh, and I was going to say the glutus maximus, you know, that in some of us are really large. But I didn't want to offend. Just did, I know. If the muscles were attached before the ligaments bound the bones together, then any movement of the body would have resulted in painful, catastrophic dislocation. And the reason for that is that muscles are paired antagonistically and they operate on a principle of tension and opposition. For me to lift my arm to an upraised position requires five muscles to extend and seven to contract. And a complex action like hitting a cricket ball or a golf ball involves scores of muscles in opposing reactions. If muscles represent the ministry of the body, We need covenant commitment to hold the bones together or muscles can literally pull a church community apart because ministries, muscles, are antagonistic in the way they function. Perhaps a better way or a better word than antagonistic would be to say that they are opposite in the way that they function. And ministries are like that. You know, you you talk to an evangelist, somebody who just has a burden on his heart for the community, and he says, you know, or she says, we need to get out of our comfort zone and out of the building and stop contemplating our navel and and start engaging with our community. And then you get the pastoral person who says, well, that's fine, but, but what's the point of bringing more people in when we're not even caring properly for the ones that we've got? What's the point of more fish in the boat when we haven't even gutted and filleted the ones we've got? Antagonistic in the sense of being completely opposites. You know, the exhorter he loves the ins- the inspiring TED talks. The teacher pulls his hair out and says, "Blinging candy floss. Why can't they have a decent diet?" The exhorter says, "Well, if you want to exist on Hebrew, Greek, and Hebrew and Greek roots, then all the best for you. I, I-, I prefer Burger King. We're, we're so different." Without ligaments, without covenant commitment, body life can be wrenched apart by such conflicts. I understand we want to be with people that share our passions. You know, the evangelists like to gather with other people who share that passion, the prophetic people and so on. But you've got to appreciate that if everybody was like you in the body of Christ, we would actually have paralysis. When all the muscles do exactly the same thing, you don't have free movement, you have paralysis. We need bone to bone. We need covenantal commitment. We need ministries to function. And then what God does is he puts skin on the body. Skin is actually the largest organ in the human body, and the average person has about 18 square meters of it. And it forms or or has two primary functions, major functions. And I'm not going to comment profoundly on them, but the first one's easy. It's a barrier. It keeps the inside in and the outside out. There's an array of chemicals and electromagnetic charges and bands of defender cells that keep dangerous marauding uh, diseases out. And you can make the obvious application there. God has always wanted a people distinctly different from the surrounding darkness. Secondly, skin is actually for reaching out. It's the organ of communication and touching. Touching that happens through skin communicates, and a kiss and a slap on the face both involve touch and both communicate. Words of touch have made their way into our vocabulary as expressions of the way that you and I relate to each other. We rub people up the wrong way. We say different strokes for different folks. A gullible person is a soft touch. We handle volatile people with kid gloves. Some people are thick skin. some people are thin-skinned. We get under each other's skins. Skin is about communication, it's about touch. And God wants His people to touch the world through the body, through his body, through the corporate body. Musos, would you come as I finish off? Joints, ligaments, muscles, skins, they're needed. We are needed. And it's a corporate entity. We are introduced to that corporate entity in conversion. The thought that you can be converted and unattached is something that the new testament knows very little about and if that's how you feel and that's how you function you need to be challenged to read the new testament it's not just about how you feel about things it's about what the scripture says and you need to grapple with it so i'd want to say as far as the body goes be in it stay in it contribute to it learn to love it challenge the spirit of your age which is the radical individualism you know it's it's be countercultural Could I say simply, be a Christian? Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.